Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to the Omarpreneur podcast. Today I have a very special guest with me that I'm so excited to bring on, Sister and Ustada Hussain Mujaddidi. Sister Hussain, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Alhamdulillah. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm I'm sorry. I'm a I'm on the West Coast, so uh, I woke up not that long ago. So <laughs> no worries. I, this is the Ramadan. We're recording this in Ramadan right now, so this is kind of like the Ramadan schedule, right? So um, I'm sure all of us are probably staying up later, which means we're even yes. more tired during the day. Uh, so Alhamdulillah, but really happy to have you here and just to share with my audience a little bit more about yourself for those who don't know. So Sister Hussai, she's a second generation Afghan Afghan American. Uh, who is working as a teacher. She's a spiritual counselor. She's a mentor, mashallah, and a mental health advocate. She's been doing all of these things for over 20 years. Um, if you actually look her up on YouTube, mashallah, she has some amazing talks uh, that are extremely inspirational uh, that you can go and look at um, that will definitely benefit you, inshallah. And she's also a freelance writer and editor. So definitely uh, someone who is multi-talented, mashallah. So on this podcast, I want to talk about all of these things with you. Talk about you know, what even inspired you to go into uh, public speaking and, you know, teaching others about Islam and talking about mental health and, um, you know, being also a writer and editor, all of these things. So for you growing up, did you know or did you feel like you would go to be this uh, almost, uh, I'm going to say polymath, right, of an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. Or did you have a specific, a different path in mind, a specific path in mind that you thought you were going to go down? First of all, again, thank you. That was very kind and generous of you, alhamdulillah. Um, you know, when I came, I mean, as far back as I can remember, um, you know, uh, thinking about what I, my interests, I do remember always having an interest in writing mm -hmm. and uh, teaching. So I kind of liked being the older sister or older friend to my friends group, you know, in my friends group. So I think there was some signs that I would probably go into that direction. But in terms of the you know mental health side of it or the advocacy and a lot of the other work that I eventually ended up doing that, I was not quite prepared for. But I do, in, in you know, hindsight, see some of the events that I think were also leading to that path. Um, in particular, uh, a high school event that I had where um, I had made a friend in, I think it was my junior year of high school, we were in um, driver's ed uh, class together and we had some other classes. She was uh, one of the, you know, part of that, um, the popular cheerleader, you know, jock kind of group, part of that clique. I was not, um, but somehow we made friends and she began to entrust me with a lot of her personal issues that I think she couldn't talk about with her own friends, with her own peer group. So when um, we formed that bond, I found one day that she called me out of the blue and this was, I'm going to age myself, but this was long before cell phones. You couldn't really directly access people. You had to call their home. Um, so she called my home number and uh, and I didn't even know where she lived at the time, but she told me that her parents and her brother weren't home and she was really depressed over many things, her grades, and she was worried about college. A lot of her friends were already kind of getting, um, you know, they, they kind of had a plan, but she didn't know what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And she started having suicidal ideation. And that was a, a terrible moment for me because I had no idea what to do, but um, I ended up having to figure it out and keeping her on the phone for over an hour, basically offering her anything to not do what she was intending to do, which is take some pills of her parents she had found. So she was having a breakdown basically. And that was my first exposure to this, you know, um, concept of mental health. And I didn't, you know, we're just a average typical American teenager, not really having insight into that. So I remember feeling so um, overwhelmed afterwards that what ha what could have just happened had she not called me, had I not been home, had I not picked up the phone. Um, and so that was, you know, one of many different events that I think when I was younger were kind of, you know, pl you know planting those seeds uh, where I, eventually I would uh, be working uh, with spiritual and mental health somehow in that capacity. So there were other events too, but yeah. Yeah, subhanAllah. Did you have, did you, because I mean, for me as an entrepreneur, I'll be completely transparent. I was mm -hmm. going through the educational system and I was uh, on the path of becoming an engineer. And then towards almost the end, I think there was one or two years left in my journey where I decided that there, this just really wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I then ended up shifting fully towards entrepreneurship. I was already, you know, 
meddling with a few businesses here and there. Everything was being done on the side. But then eventually these businesses were starting to grow and working. And I decided, well, you know what? I think this is really where I find my passion, my purpose. Uh, it's in business. And let me see if I can just you know, devote my life to this. For you, did you go down a similar journey or did you know from scratch, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like once once you went through those experiences, did you know, uh, let's say once you got to that university uh, mm -hmm. university point, did you still go and pursue a certain education or did you decide to fully dedicate yourself to entrepreneurship and building your own thing? Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my uh, university experience was going down that path of teaching. So I did finish my degree mm -hmm. uh, undergrad in, 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 the, in liberal studies so that I could eventually go on to teach. But where I pivoted was after that uh, experience, just working with in the community. Um, have you know seeing a lot of the needs in the community there were so th this is a time again where we did not have a lot of the services that we have now there's so many more therapists there's so many more muslims in the field of mental health so what i found was the uh, sisters that i had come to know through a lot of the halaqas and organizations i was volunteering um, through were going through real life problems they had marital uh, crises they had personal just insecurities really deep issues but they didn't have that comfort of being able to go to uh, um, you know the imams the local imams or teachers which was at that point kind of the line you know that if you had a crisis of some sort you would directly go to the religious leader and try to get advice and so they didn't feel comfortable you know going to the male teachers so they would seek out um, someone like me because I was an organizer and I was very involved in different organizations and I kind of had that leadership quality that I think they identified um, and and sought you know sought me out for uh, because of that. So I ended up you know conducting halakas weekly and then every halak I would find myself. I joke about it now, but I'd say I was having staircase conversations for hours sometimes after the halakha or before if I got there early or like you know hallway conversations private tucked away sessions at that time that I didn't identify as sessions I just thought you know this someone needs an asiha we'll have a quick heart to heart but it would go on sometimes and be much lengthier and then afterwards we would they would also seek to meet privately in their home or at a coffee shop and then eventually when it expanded to like marital uh, you know, counseling of some type, I would be involved, you know, uh, in their home with their spouse. And it just became, it just it took a life of its own. People started kind of sharing that, oh, Sister Hosai helped us, or I, I, I sought help through her. And next thing you know, I have like, it, you know, a lot of people seeking my advice. And it just, it just became something that I did not intend for that to happen. But I, I, again, in hindsight, see the wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kind of put me on that path because eventually it would, it would be what I dedicate, you know, my life work to. So, yeah. subhanAllah. So, uh, I really, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting looking back because you always, and I, and I always say this, that, you know, when you're going through the journey, everything almost feels like it's happening, you know, by chance, but then you look back and you realize how the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connects together, right? How it all, you know, links together and brings you to where you are. And if any link was missing, you wouldn't be where you are today. Uh, and Absolutely. it's such a beautiful thing, subhanAllah. And and hearing your story and the journey that you went through and all the different points that have uh, come together to then bring you to where you are today is beautiful. Now, you mentioned to me a story earlier of, you know, in high school, an experience that you had with a friend um, mm -hmm. and how that shaped you and your thinking and, and maybe also inspired you to to do what you do today as well as you know the conversations you've been having with sisters before and after these halakas mm. at the moment right now what is your primary focus based based on all these experiences you've been through what is it that you're trying to do at the moment what kind of impact are you, are you trying to have in the world mm, thank you thank you for that um so again because of all of the different experiences that I also lived through and watched so many other people live through. I have sort of shifted my focus more now to working primarily with youth mm -hmm. because I found that a lot of the reasons why so many people either find themselves, found themselves, for example, in toxic relationships, right? That were just really not good for them or other, um, you know, dynamics that just eventually uh, harmed their mental or spiritual well-being was because the foundations were missing early on. So I'm taking more of a preventative approach, right? Like how can we help our youth so that they don't have the same fate of having to really grapple with a lot of the struggles that I and others in my generation went through. And I think um, trying to reach the youth through 
giving them um, you know access to the rich tradition of Islam that offers so much insight into human personality and, and you know psychology, the way our minds work, the way our natures are, that can actually be converted into um, you know, um, like a tools for, for, for them in their life, you know, in practical implementation in every way, in their relationships with their work, with their school. So I, one of the topics that I've been teaching about for several years now is on the framework of emotional intelligence. Um, and I, I discovered it, you know, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, uh, the works of Daniel Goleman, who is the leading pioneer of, the, of this uh, framework. And when I, as soon as I started to really get into, you know, his, his material, it became very clear to me that he was laying a roadmap uh, for, you know, just cultivating this, this well-balanced human being. And the parallels became so apparent to me that what he was really doing is, is describing the Prophet but mm -hmm. using more modern terminology, right? So he has this five scale uh, list that he uses to describe what emotional intelligence is. And each one of them, as I looked at them and again explored, I said, this is really in essence, prophetic living, prophetic guidance. If, if, if we can use this modern tool to teach our, our youth um, their tradition and the example of the Prophet Sallallahu we could potentially really, uh, you know, affect some change. Because as you, I'm sure, are aware, um, unfortunately, in many of our communities, despite the best efforts of our, of our um, you know, leadership, I think our programming for youth is lacking. Mm -hmm. And a lot of youth that I work with do not feel really motivated or engaged when they go to, for example, uh, a masjid program because the topics may not be relevant to them or the framing is dry or, you know, we just, we, we haven't really done the, the uh, enough to make an impact with them. So that's why I'm trying to take this other approach, which is instead of, you know, having a list of different, uh, very important. There, I mean, all the you know sciences of our faith are important. Instead of um, you know giving them classes, uh, you know, in this lecture style format uh, that they might not find again very interesting because it's out of their context or just something that they haven't been motivated to find interesting. Maybe approaching it from this Western, you know, psychology that does that it does interest them, right? To know more about how their minds work, the gen, like uh, you know, just even basic things like the differences between uh, the male and the female. Those things excite youth; they want to know these things, right? So I feel like taking that approach has been more successful, and I've dedicated a lot of my teaching now. Uh, with youth to that uh, topic um, and expanding their understanding of themselves. Because I didn't mention this, but the five qualities of um, emotional intelligence outlined by uh, Dr. Daniel Goleman is, are self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. So you can see right away without even exploring each of these, how a youth, a, a, an impressionable you know, adolescent would find interest because they want to know more about themselves. Obviously, you know, the idea of control and being motivated, um, social skills, all of these things appeal to their to their natural, you know, interests at that age. So I feel like it's it's just the way um, to go for me anyway. That's that's what I've I'm dedicating a lot of my time to right now. Definitely. Subhanallah. So uh, I really love what you're mentioning. I'm going to circle back to it in a second, but I know that you also, of course, continue to also lead um, uh, sister Hanukkahs yes. uh, where you help women, you help sisters as well. So. My question is, how do you fit all of that in? <laughs> how do you manage all of this? Uh, I get that question a lot, alhamdulillah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I was speak speaking to someone just earlier, and I mentioned that yesterday I had um, you know, six events, and it was, it was a pretty big wow. day for me yesterday. Oh, wow. And he said, why, aren't, why would you possibly do that? <laughs> you know, why would you schedule six events in one day? He put it back on me. And you know, it's, it's Ramadan, there's barakah. But I think generally speaking, I, I am very... Alhamdulillah, I think, I mean, it's Islam maybe, or my parents, my upbringing, but I do feel that even with my siblings, we're kind of those self-motivated type of people. So I don't, you know, I kind of, I like to stay busy. For me, staying busy is really, really important. I do not like too much downtime or I'm not doing anything, especially mentally. I like to keep my mind active. So teaching just as instinctual. I've, I feel like I've been teaching very, since a very young age and I love to teach. 
so any opportunity to help uh, people through education, I feel like is just, it's honestly a gift for me because uh, I feel very rewarded in the process of teaching, right? So when I'm um, sharing these insights that I was given also by my teachers, I feel like I'm paying it forward. And I love to see the the result of that, you know, those aha moments in the audience's face, or if I'm online and I'm talking to people and they're like, wow, you know, I've, I never knew that. So I'm very, I find it, it it's, it's, it's such a beautiful gift to be able to teach that I don't really look at it like, oh, I'm balancing and juggling all of this, uh, you know, like work. It's, it's a labor of love for me, but for, you know, the sisters, especially, I feel like ever since, um, I came into the faith kind of being in that role as a, as a female organizer. I've always worked with women um, and I just, I can't imagine not having that. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's been such a consistent part of my life for so long uh, that if I, I remember the few times because uh, I was in transition, you know, we moved from Southern California to Northern California. There were some pockets of time where I wasn't teaching and I kind of felt like really restless. Like there was you know, really big thing missing in my life. So I, I, I absolutely love uh, the experience. And I love being part of the Muslim community. So Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So you, it sounds like you, it sounds like you definitely are someone who found uh, their purpose and found and is, and, and is now aligned with what they want to do. And I think when you, mm-hmm. when you are able to get to that stage in life and how did I, I feel the same when it comes to what I'm doing right now with a entrepreneur and everything that we're aiming to accomplish, inshallah, mm-hmm. I really do feel like our purpose and everything that we're doing, um, pretty much aligns with that, right? Aligns with our core, um, our core needs, our core wants. And yes. with what you're doing right now, mashallah, I can hear I can hear the same thing in that when you do something that aligns with your purpose that you truly love, it fuels you instead of draining you. Right. Yes. And I want to know for Muslim entrepreneurs and Muslims in general who are listening to this, do you have any advice for them when it comes to finding your purpose and aligning yourself with your mm. purpose? Thank you. Um, wonderful question. You know, I I was reminded as you were speaking about an event that happened many years ago. I was in a halaqa with uh, couples. We were all you know young couples before children, uh, and there were several of us there. And we went in a circle, and we kind of had this prompt. You know, do, what is your passion? Right. And every single person, with the exception of maybe one or two. They were all, they were professionals. They had found, you know, they were working, they were newly married. Every single person was like, I don't really know. Mm. And I remember just feeling heartbroken that these are 30 somethings, but they're admitting in front of everyone that I, I'm just kind of working in this field because maybe my parents pushed me towards it, or it just was a natural, you know, progression of, of my studies. But they did. They admitted that they didn't really know what their passion was, and they they kind of felt that that was still to come, you know. And I thought that was quite. You know, I was heart- saddened for them because by that age to not know what you're supposed to be doing, um, I felt like we're doing something's missing, and we need to be having 100%. you know these conversations very much earlier, right? Uh, to even prompt somebody with that question, I think is a kind of. You know, a lot of our um, parents in, in some of our cultures anyway, they dictate to their children. They don't really ask them, like, what do you want to do? They tell them what they want them to do. Right. right. So I think for some people to be even asked that question is kind of surprising. But um, this is also part of why I am so um, passionate about teaching youth these skills early on, because they should be asking these questions much earlier. And as I mentioned, you know, that going back to emotional intelligence, the first point is self-awareness. So if you don't know your passion, it's likely because you don't quite know yourself, right? And I know it sounds cliche, but we do have this concept of the importance of paying attention to the unique nuances of yourself, right? We have this proverb uh, in Arabic that sometimes is quoted as a hadith, but many of our scholars have used it for centuries, uh, which is the one that knows him or herself will know their Lord. So the importance of evaluating oneself, paying attention to one's temperament, those naturally, um, you know, uh, fueled or or the, those, um, you know, motivations or inclinations that one's, one has, as, you know, in, in different stages of life are very important because for some people, uh, like I can tell, mashallah, you, this is a natural fit for you. I used to do, uh, you know, radio. I don't know if you know that because it's not always in my bio, but there was one legacy radio back in the days around 2005, six, maybe. 
So I did um, a stint in, in uh, radio for a few years, and it was lo- it was amazing. But I can I can definitely see natural talent, mashallah, in you. So you so probably right had a, some signs of that uh, early on uh, mm-hmm. that that then flourished you know you know into something more later. But I feel like we have to tap into that with our youth. And if, if you're not youth, uh, you know, you're, you're past that stage, it's not too late. So, you know, taking some time to know your temperament, for example, temperament is a very important topic in our tradition. Mizaj, we call this, um, you know, there are four temperaments and there's, this is based on a theory called the four temperaments, but our scholars for centuries use this to help people know more about themselves. Like, are you a reactive person? Are you flexible? Are you inflexible? Are you socially oriented? Are you goal oriented? Uh, what's your constitution? There's a lot of, and this is very much tied with also prophetic medicine and tips. So this idea of just pay attention to why you are you and what is different between you and maybe your siblings or friends. And let's nurture that. Let's see where we go with that. Right. And I think that a self-exploration process is very insightful for people when they do it with guidance and properly. And they may discover that, oh, I do have um, you know, an interest in, in, for example, the arts, uh, or I have an interest in, you know, maybe I'm in, I'm in school for medicine, but there is this other side of me that's quite artistic. And what do I do with that? Right. I, ha- I had a friend, for example, who went the, uh, the route of, you know, um, the tech fields and, but she was an artist and she never really gave much importance to that because in her cultural, you know, mind, she just thought that that was like a hobby, you know, that I just do art as a hobby. And she went into uh, the tech world and then just got burnt out, found that that was just just vacuous and empty and she had no interest in that. And then she turned more towards art and then that opened up more for her in about healing. And so she just found a whole new identity because she started paying attention to those really exceptional and unique qualities that Allah gave her, those talents, those skills. And so that's kind of part of my process is tapping into what is special about you because you are special, right? Everyone's special. Allah created us. He could have not created us or he could have created us into an inanimate object or something else, but he gave us our humanity and put us in the best of ummah for a reason, but we just need to, you know, explore what those specific things are. And I think that that would be the first step, you know, doing that with someone who can do that with you, inshallah. Definitely, that's so beautiful hearing you say that. And do you feel like the overabundance of external stimuli in our current society is preventing people from going down the journey of self-discovery in that because there's so much outside of us that is constantly grabbing our attention, we are less and less able to bring back some of that attention inward. A hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better. We are being bombarded with so many messages. Um, And this is why, alhamdulillah, I love our deen because it gives primacy to really, again, going back to the fundamentals and the basics and paying attention to these things. And also when you, for example, um, you know, study, uh, you know, the the sources of our inspiration, right? We have an entire, you know, um, area of study that that is focused on helping people know how to pay attention to that stream of consciousness, right? Because if you're not filtering what the messages are, then you're very susceptible to being pulled this way and that way and this way and that way. And that's how people are led astray. And that's how people find themselves misguided. But when you have focus and direction and guidance to say what is you know noise basically right there's a lot of noise uh, in our modern world and what is sound right what is something that has some substance that you should you should pay attention to which is you know a dinu nasiha for example like the, the deen is is you know guidance and so how do you then uh, determine what is sound guidance from what is just you know trending kind of noise, you know, because there's a lot of, again, messages that that we receive, but not all of them have any importance, you know. Uh, So being able to discern what is worthwhile, what is worth giving your attention and time to, as opposed to um, what what is just someone's opinion, and uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of chucking it away as okay, well, that's not something I necessarily need to give any relevance to. So um, a a good example for that, I mean, of that is, like paying attention to the company that you keep, right? Because we, 
in this society, people are kind of collect human beings, right? It's just, it's all about numbers. And, and you know, whether it was in school and you wanted to be the most popular person and just know everybody, and then that's now extended to social media. Let's just, you know, get as many followers and likes. Uh, and we have these very empty relationships, right? With a lot of people sometimes, but not everybody that you consider a friend, quote unquote, is actually, or should have the role uh, of advisor or confidant or someone that you could seek, you know, good counsel from, right? You may like their company, you may enjoy them in social settings, but does that mean that you should take advice from them? Um, uh, that's something that we have to teach people having criteria for an advisor versus um, allowing everybody who falls into the category of friend or or acquaintance to also take on that role. Because I've just seen some really tragic uh, situations where people didn't have that you know line clear and they allowed for uh for people who were just you know friends or, or friendly to them to affect them and influence them and then they would take advice from them only to find that their marriages suddenly weren't you know going in the right direction or personally they found themselves you know doing things um that were not detrimental to, that were detrimental to their own path and it was because the ability to to discern right what was sound and 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 good and and really uh, for one's well being in terms of of advice or or messages that we get uh, versus what's just again noise was not you know that that wasn't um, it, it wasn't clear so I think we need to definitely help people. Uh, to, to discern between those things because there's just too many. I mean, you have your family, uh, right? You have your friends. You have, um, you know, coworkers sometimes who are very influential, right? Uh, you have social media. You have the celebrity culture. There's so many things that are constantly pulling us. Uh, but how do we know what to just? Okay, kind of. That's that's just their opinion as opposed to this is really for my betterment or this would be really good advice that I should take in. Uh, so we, we definitely need to teach people how to, to how to do that because there is an abundance of messages. So I agree. And I think even for someone uh, and it might sound it might sound weird because I'm someone, you know, we have so we, we are so we are what we are a company that uses social media as mm -hmm. one of the ways to grow our brands. And, you know, social media has its pros and cons. Right. I have my own personal opinions about it. But one thing that social media has done that I found is pretty that I find pretty interesting is that and, and it falls in line with what you're sharing, is that there there's a lot of surface level value, right? Mm -hmm. But what how can we distinguish between the actual gold from you know the pebbles that are just out there, right? So there's so much value, there's so much people trying to push out content. Mm -hmm. with the goal of how can I provide value, but a lot of it is most of the time surface level. And then how do we then differentiate between the people who really are, can give us the, this deeper understanding towards the things that we care about versus the ones that are just pushing value for the sake of pushing value, if that makes sense. Right. No, it makes perfect sense. And that's where I think having more intimate personal relationships with people will naturally help you to discern the two, right? Mm -hmm. But if you are going about kind of keeping everybody at an arm's length, because that's just the nature of our world, right? We've become very um, isolated and, and or, or individualized uh, from community. And even in our friendships, sometimes people have very superficial friendships where they just get together to socialize. They don't really talk about meaningful or really deep concepts because friendships have become almost a way to escape, you know, the pressures of life. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we really look at even the prophetic example, look at his companions, right? He called his, his Sahaba companions because they were on a journey together. So you have to, you know, have some, some real intimate and, and deep relationships with people in your life in order to be able to know who is a good and you know, who's who's really looking out for me and my best interest because they know me and they've been observing me and they have insight into who I am and what my passions are and what my also what my shortcomings are, what my strengths are. They know those things deeply, right? As opposed to, again, these people from a surface level that we may have some rapport with, we built some rapport with, but they don't know the inner workings, right? The inner dimensions of me. So I can't just, I can't equate the two, right? But if we don't have 
we, if we haven't developed those really meaningful relationships, uh, then obviously it's it's going to be blurred. The lines are very blurred because we don't know have anything to compare it to, right? So I feel like um, taking the time to really develop strong relationships um, and looking for people who can fill that role of being not only a friend and a support when and during difficult times and you know just or even social times but someone that you can lean on for real genuine nasiha like i'm i'm at a crossroads and what do you think uh, you know me well you know we've spent 10 15 years together we've traveled together we've done all these we've had some real great meaningful events together what do you think should i you know go to school here or there whatever the you know crossroads is but someone who i think has enough experience with you personally to be able to even tell you what they think. Um, and if you don't have that, then that's where obviously would, where I would say start to develop more meaningful relationships. But you see, it's all kind of interlinked because if we're not giving people the tools to be able to be vulnerable and open up and also, um, you know, have that comfort level, which is where going back to emotional intelligence, right? That the social skills are something that we have to develop. And if a lot of people as we're noticing, uh, post COVID, especially um, the the numbers of people with so severe social anxiety and isolation, and really suffering through not being able to form these relationships, has just uh, exponentially increased over the past maybe decade or more. And so we have to now teach people how to open up again, how to trust people, how to seek out really good people. And I think pointing them to towards uh, the the virtues that they should seek first in themselves but also in their companions is really important right because we have that concept of prophetic character like if if you if you know what the prophet system's character was and all of the beautiful virtues that he had then you should be able to identify them in other people um and then i mean first obviously cultivate them in yourself but also be able to identify them in other people so that you gravitate towards people who actually are going to be like those companions for you in this life, as opposed to just superficial uh, relationships that, that don't really go beyond the surface. And I think that all brings us back to what we were talking about earlier and what why I believe you are gravitating slowly towards a younger and younger audience, because mm -hmm. the earlier we begin with these things, the easier it is to have them in adulthood because the mm -hmm. later it is that we begin, the harder it is to develop and to change. And you even recently, mashallah, you uh, authored a book uh, titled A Rhyme Book on Manners for Little Muslims. Sorry, it wasn't recent, I believe. I can, I think it's from 2017, right. uh, so a number of years ago. I'm not sure if you've authored any more since then. Um, have you? Just a, just a, a quick question. I get, this, I get this question a lot. I always say I have a lot of chapter one books, uh, folders <laughs> all over my desktop for many different books, but uh, there, there are a lot of works in progress. I do right. uh, plan to do more, inshallah, but it's just time. Sure. I'm in a race with time. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So the reason why I'm bringing that up is because, you know, there was definitely an intention there that I'm seeing mm -hmm. in that especially with the discussion that we're having, you were working with youth and then you went, you know, even further uh, down the line towards little Muslims mm -hmm. and really starting there. And I think that is ultimately where we should begin. And when you talk to me about working with youth, I mean, even for myself, I have so many nephews and nieces and I'm looking at them growing up and their personalities and subhanAllah, every single person, every single one of them has a different personality, different character, mm -hmm. right? But ultimately, at the end of the day as well, what matters so much is what is happening in those early formative years that is then going to shape them into who they are into adulthood. And you as someone who is a counselor, who is an educator, who is a mentor that is coming in from an external perspective and trying to help influence these youth, mm -hmm. do you find that to be challenging when you have so such limited time with these youth and their household environments shape so much of who they are. Has that been a challenge for you? And how do you overcome that challenge? Sure. No, it's a, again, another very insightful question. Um, you know, it, it's, it has been challenging as you mentioned, because we can only do so much, right? When we're given limited access with our youth, we can inspire them in the moment. We can give them a lot of 
fun experiences, you know, teaching them, doing workshops, re book readings, whatever the event may be that we're, we're with them. But the real uh, change is going to come through in their household. So uh, even though, alhamdulillah, I, I, and I wrote this book um, when I, my kids were young and I was, um, I was living in Southern California at the time and I wanted to give them exposure, you know, to other children their age, but I didn't want to put them in uh, environments where I wouldn't kind of be a part of that process. So I created, along with some friends, a co-op. It was a uh, run through the masjid. And so we would meet twice a week with other families and, uh, you know, parents were involved as well. And we just, you know, started really taking, you know, this this um, role of how can we uh, socialize our kids with other kids and teach them all the values of our deen. Let's do it together. And from that, from my experience of just uh, seeing how children love um love to sing <laughs> and love to dance and love rhyme and rhythm. I uh, decided to write the book um, because adab is something that we all want for our children. We want them to, you know, be very nice to other kids as well as their siblings, to their parents, to their grandparents. Uh, just yesterday I was, I was asked about that, about how can we, you know, teach our young ones to have good adab with, with their, um, you know, grandparents. So this is some things that a lot of young parents are very concerned about. So that's where the book came from. But it was really more for the parents because I'm trying to give them the tools where they can reinforce the principles of our faith in an engaging way, right? In a way that their children will receive it. Because to take on subjects, uh, you know, Islamic subjects with the very young children anyway, as uh, you know, as just a, it's it, like you're you're teaching them from a very um, like a, a dry perspective, right? Like here's the dean and this is what we, you know, learn and not really using um, what their natural, uh, you know, disposition to, to, to reach them, right? Because they love to explore. They love to be in that creative world. They love, that's why they love song and all of that. So I feel like giving the parents the tool, which is like, you know what, don't just instruct and dictate and give them rules and then expect them to fall in line. Like, you know, the, you know, like, like little minions or soldiers, you know, right. they need uh, modeling and they need fun and they need, to be reached in a fun way. So, uh, you know, the, the book was really for them. And in addition to the book, Alhamdulillah, a lot of the bulk of, of many of my workshops over the past, I don't know how many years, have also been for parents. So I do, I just did, I finished a three part uh, parenting workshop just yesterday for Ramadan. But I do these periodically because I do feel that we have to be reinforcing these things at home or the starting place is really the home. The mother, as we say, is the first school, right? The first madrasa for her child. So if our parents are not on board with these things, or they don't have the tools to implement these things, then yes, um, someone like myself, who's going to maybe see them once a week or month is very limited in what we can do. Um, and uh, and so we, we have to do both. You know, we can certainly bring uh, our community programming up and make sure that we're offering these these classes and experiences for youth so that they're that they're creating that bond with the masjid and also with other community members but we also have to be reinforcing and giving the tools to the parents to be able to really teach these things as well and i think that's how we overcome a lot of the challenges reaching the youth uh, so another i'm um, sorry just i'm thinking of it but another area that i've also spoken about with with other experts in the mental health field is social media literacy because coupling you know the islamic uh, education the tarbiyah that parents should be giving their kids is also awareness that parents need to have about a lot of the dangers that are lurking that they may sometimes be totally unaware of um, you know for example i'm uh, one of the things that i when i when i ask the question and then tell them the gasps in the audience are just amazing to me but i don't know if you're familiar i'm sure you are mashallah you seem very well read and well uh, informed but there's something called a vault app um, that a lot of parents don't know about and so when you teach them for the first time what it is they're just stunned you know that there are actual apps that are portals to to the other apps, right? So on the surface, it may look like a calendar or a calculator, but it's really just a portal to allow for the exchange of videos and photos and messages. And parents just are stunned. And to know that there's thousands of them and that they're free and that students will exchange these things with each other so that they can bypass parental controls shocks so many parents. So that's the type of stuff that I'm interested in because again, I know that a lot of parents just, they're working full time. They're not really aware of these things. And it's 
causing a lot of the crises that we find in our homes because of course uh, as you know these things can just you know go get out of control and and you find young children being exposed to really harmful things so we're taking like a multi-pronged uh, approach to prevention inshallah um, and to try to reach our youth I know that we're diving really deep, deep into the conversation here, and I know that I'm uh, most likely challenging you to summarize concepts and things that you've worked on for years into just mm -hmm. a few words, and so there's only so much we can go through. But relating to what you just shared with me and the work that you do in regards to mental illness and mental health, mm -hmm. how does this all connect together when we talk about the upbringing of a person, we talk about the way or the society that we're growing in now and all the noise that we have and then also the lack of real connection because there's mm -hmm. so much service level connection as you mentioned but then how do we actually foster real connections and deeper relationships how does that then connect to what you're seeing as someone who is a mental health advocate and teacher and counselor to the issues that your clients and the people that come to you are facing and are you noticing any trends in your work so far Mm. It's all absolutely interlinked. It's it's mm. completely interlinked. I I, I I've seen. I, I feel like it all just goes back to um, the individual, right? The individuals first of all who are uh, with the adults that I work with, right? What was their experience growing up? What what um, what did they receive and what they didn't receive? The, the dysfunctions, for example, that they may have brought into their newly, uh, you know, their new marriages and their relationships, and then their new their households, right? Because sometimes we don't see the cycles, we don't see that they're actually repeating because we're passively moving about in many of the roles that we play, which is where bringing awareness to the to the mind and to really pay attention to what do you default to? Because if you're, for example, defaulting as a, a husband or a wife to the precedent that your parents set before you, right? Or the cultural ideas of what a husband and a wife, the roles are, right? You're just defaulting to those things. Um, then you're not participating, you know, actively in, in getting to know or, or, or really learning of a, a more, a much more updated context of what is required for a, a husband and a wife, right? Because our parents obviously had different circumstances, different things that they were dealing with, and the same is true for parent for parenting. You cannot just replicate what was shown to you um, in your model as a parent, because as Sayyidina Ali and, uh, said, this was his quote, do not raise your children how you were raised because they were born of a different generation. So when we have sound advice like that, that comes from our own tradition, right? It's something that we all have to, to heed and really take seriously that I have to be more active. And uh, because, you know, um, life is a juggling act for so many people, a lot of people are on autopilot when it comes to these things. So when I, when I do, for example, um, you know, marriage related talks or parenting talks, I always emphasize that many of us, the conversation around marriage is usually focused on the conversation around a wedding, right? Like we're very excited about being married and going through the marriage process of having the celebration and all of the fun and excitement that comes with being a newlywed, the vacationing, the honeymoon, the, the, you know, clothes. It's just, it's such a celebratory idea in our mind that a lot of people get so stuck on that part of it. And they don't, when there are red flags clear and present. And I, I know because I've worked with many people who either they're in a divorce process or mediation. And when I ask them, did you find any red flags during the courtship phase? Nine times out of 10. Yes. There were many red flags. Why didn't you listen to those red flags? Well, you know, it was just, they were swept away. It was a very emotional, you know, reaction to just get caught up in, uh, you know, in the fun and the excitement of the marriage and they don't want to disappoint parents. So there's, the point being is the focus is so off that we're not empowering our youth to really understand that marriage is so much more than a wedding. It's so much more than the reputation of being a married person. It is your daily life. It is your mental well-being. It is your spiritual well-being. And it is something that if you don't really, you know, make sure you're prepared for, 
you will suffer, right? It completes half your dean for a reason. And giving them that really sobering message, right? To stop focusing on the the superficial uh, to, uh, you know, the Instagram worthy pictures, that's not relevant. And the same with parenting, like we have to move on from the baby newborn stage or the pregnancy pictures or the, you know, announcements and the gender identity reveal parties and all those things. We have to move on because that's what the superficial social media kind of fishbowl world has created, which is everybody just gets caught up in the hype. But then the process of raising another human being, of, of being responsible for the safety and for the education and for all of the things that come with you know raising a human being is so deep. You know, are you ready for that challenge? What have you done to prepare for that? Right. So these are the types of conversations that individuals um, need to have because in the absence of that, then what happens is, as I said, they go into these roles in a very with a very passive mindset, and then they're hit with the reality of it. It's like, whoa, I didn't expect this. I thought it was always going to be blissful and amazing. No, it's going to be, Allah tells you, you're going to, he's going to test you right in these relationships. So the individuals, um, you know, need that message because again, they, these, these things come out of that, right? The lack of, um, healthy, uh, homes that then contribute to a lot of the dysfunction that we're seeing with children, right? If, if a, a home environment is destabilized and the two individuals are, you know, just like cats and dogs fighting all day long, the, you know, the, the spouse, and children are coming out of that environment, then this is where they're susceptible to a lot of those, uh, you know, those, those um, traps of shaitan that will wear them down, right? So you're seeing, you know, all of these things are interlinked because they're not being, the focus isn't on them anymore. It's just these two individuals who are trying to manage their own, you know, relationship and the dysfunction, but at the expense of neglecting what they're supposed to be doing once they have children, which is raising them and giving them these tools and tarbiya. So the children don't get that. And then they go seek out the attention in all the wrong places, which is when they turn to social media, which is when they shut down emotionally too, right? Because some temperaments um, are so overwhelmed by all the dysfunction happening in their household that they shut down completely. And then of course, you know, it's just, it, like I said, it snowballs and everybody kind of gets buried under the avalanche of these of these unfortunate environments, but it goes back to the individual. So this is why in our Dean, everything is, um, you know, the tarbiyah process starts so early on, but a lot of it is prevention. You know, we learn, uh, for example, you know, all of the aspects of our Dean, those foundational things, aqidah, fiqh, uh, we're supposed to learn these things to prevent harm, right? The Sharia is entirely about prevention of harm. But if you're not being directed to that knowledge, then you're figuring it out, like, you know, cherry picking from this and that and piecemealing it all together. And it's kind of like, you know, um, like it's all a patchwork, but it's not very stable, right? It's not, it's not, it's not a very good patchwork of different ideas and concepts because again, there's so many different streams of influence. So it's like you're, when you have a nice, perfect roadmap and everything's set for you that you're just supposed to be on, but you're not being directed to that, then you're trying to figure it out on your own, but you're going this way, that way, this way, and that way. So it's no wonder that we're seeing, um, you know, so much, uh, you know, dysfunction that comes out of that on an individual and then a familial and then a communal level, because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is, you know, there's a structure to our Dean and it's all laid out for us in the, prof the prophetic example with the instructions that we have about, you know, all of these things. Um, and we just need to be implementing those things. Uh, so I'm sorry, this is such a <laughs> larger uh, conversation and I give you a very lengthy answer, but they are absolutely all interconnected. It's just how do we undo it or how do we try to resolve it? It's knowledge. It's You have to go back to the basis of our deen, iqra, right? Knowledge, because knowledge is uh, frees people from all of these um, this misguidance and, and these constraints. And we just begin to have you know, like, you know, the, these openings come. And then inshallah, from there, we have something to work with. But in the absence of knowledge, ignorance abounds. And it, from ignorance, of course, comes all of these uh, terrible things. So there are so many, so many questions that I have for you, sister, that I want to dive into based on this <laughs> conversation in so many directions that we could take this. <laughs> However, for the sake of time, I'm going to try to limit myself from my and my curiosity. But I promise you, I mean, your response wasn't lengthy. There's so much more we could talk, we could talk about. <laughs> um, but 
of course, for the sake of time and of course, um, as well to make sure that I respect and honor your schedule as well. I want to know as one of the questions that we use to wrap up this episode, mm-hmm. this podcast is one that I ask every single guest and I'm really excited to ask you. Mm-hmm. And especially because you're someone who works actively with the youth as well as, of course, all the other things that you do. What is one piece of advice that you would give to a young Muslim that is listening to this right now? One, you could give them one piece of advice, something to hold on to mm-hmm. as they go through their journey towards mm-hmm. adulthood. Wow, that's a tough one because <laughs> if you notice, my mind can go into so many different tangents. Um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Subhanallah. Just give me a moment because I want to phrase it. Please, please. I know it's a, I know it's a loaded question, and I actually prefer when guests take their time to think about it. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, alhamdulillah. You know, I think my mind just or my heart is telling me to emphasize what I usually try to impart with my students as well, that Allah loves you, right? That your existence comes out of love. And um, sometimes I know youth struggle to find their purpose and meaning and the value that they have for themselves because they, we are, we've given them such a, a toxic world that tells them to take themselves apart and look at every little part of themselves. And if it doesn't measure up to some uh, standard, uh, you know, that society puts forth that there's no value in that. And Allah, that's such a demonic message because human beings don't set values on human beings. Allah, the creator of the human being, sets the value. And so if you're a youth, you have to know that you are, by virtue of your existence, beloved to your creator. As I mentioned before, he could have not made you, but he did make you. And that right there, to me, is proof that you are you have value and that you're important and now what that means specifically for you you have to discover and the discovery process should be beautiful and the discovery process is beautiful when you're coming from the frame of our tradition and from the frame of god i'm going to lean on on god and and his messenger to discover who i am not all of the other frail uh, or faulted uh, human beings that that I may come along the path because we're all, I like to use the analogy of a mirror, right? Um, Mirrors come in all different shapes and sizes and types. Uh, So you have, for example, the mirror on the side of a car tells you objects are closer than they appear. You have the very magnifying mirrors that you can see your every pore in. You have those funny like fun house mirrors. You have the gas station mirrors. You have a lot of mirrors, right? A lot of reflections. You can go into uh, even a source of water, whether it's like a lake or a pond and you'll get a reflection but is that an accurate uh, reflection of the person it's a distortion right so human beings are like mirrors you're going to find some people who overpraise you um they're just you know ingratiating you likely wanting to use you for some reason but they're not really genuine you have other people who hyper focus on maybe some of your you know small flaws or shortcomings but to break you down uh, similar to a a mirror that's distorting a blemish or a flaw right if you look in some of these magnifying mirrors it would be horrific to to think that that's what you look like to everybody because they're intentionally you know magnifying things but that doesn't mean that that's really how you appear so there are people who do that and then you have people who just flat out uh, just have a distorted lens themselves so they're not really reflecting anything accurate in you the best most polished mirror that you can judge yourself with is the mirror of god and his messenger and if you are right with god and his messenger you don't have anything to worry about. And this applies to everybody in your life, your parents who have a great influence over you, your siblings, your uh, uh, peer group, uh, any other adult in your life. It applies to everybody because we're all flawed and we don't know your context. We don't know you. You know, when I work with um, individuals, I love to do what I call context framing, which is let's frame our context. Let's like, let's pay, pay some attention to why we are who we are. Let's go back into our history. What family were you raised in? What kind of family? What was the environment? You know, what? how many siblings did you have? Uh, things that people don't think about that absolutely affect, uh, you know, who we are, like birth order. Um, people don't think that these things affect them. Yes, they do. You know, if you're, if you uh, are in the middle or in the you know, end of your sibling line or the beginning, you're going to be impacted, your personality. And that's because of the role that you're, you're playing in that family system, right? Um, and so you're assigned almost a role, not by your volition. It's just kind of imposed on you. But from that comes 
uh, you know, uh, you're, you're, it's not truly who you are, right? Because you're just assigned that. So the point here is look at yourself through the prism of uh, all of these different, you know, relationships as being a distortion. And the only real accurate you is who you are with God. And if you are a well-intended person, you have hopes and dreams and you have, you know, you're good, your nature is good. You want good that um, is the proof that you are good with God, right? And so don't let anyone else tell you otherwise, because you will have people judging you, you will have people questioning your choices, you will have people trying to spark self-doubt in you and breaking you down. But if you just learn to just not give them that emotional control over you by knowing who they are, that they're, they are those distorted mirrors, and you have your own mirror that you always check yourself to, then inshallah, you will have that self-confidence to move forward in this life and to navigate all the complexities of life because you are leaning on your creator and uh, and who he has assigned as your guide in this world. And that's all you need. If you have Allah and the messenger of Allah, وسلم, you don't need anybody else. That's not to say you shouldn't want uh, healthy friendships and relationships, but you don't need them. They are kind of the the you know the additions or the the um you know the 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 spice of life they they become certainly important in terms of you know giving uh, us us beautiful experiences but necessity and survival and really just uh, getting through this world as if we have Allah you know husband Allah um that's all we need right so i know it's a, again a long answer but i just really think we have to infuse in our youth um a deep sense of value and who they are, not based on any messaging they get from their family or friends or society, but the truth, the only truth that matters, which is from their creator, mm -hmm. uh, and, and to know that they are loved. That was a beautiful message, sister. Zakallah Khairan, for sharing that with me. And I uh, was really touched by your words. So I, it, it wasn't lengthy at all. Where can people go to connect with you and hear more from you, mashallah? You've shared with us so many beautiful nuggets throughout this conversation. Where can they go if they want to hear your talks, learn more about you, and support you? Jazakumullah khairan. Thank you. Alhamdulillah. Um, I'm available on all of the major social media. Um, uh, not all of them, I should say. I'm primarily on Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter. And I'm on Facebook. I'm not as active as I was pre-COVID. I used to write really long-form posts on Facebook, which are, they're all still there. But now it's more sharing of content that I'm doing everywhere else. But I would say Instagram is my primary uh, social media platform. And then I also use the clubhouse app which i don't know if you're on but i think you would be a wonderful addition to clubhouse because it is an audio input kind of like a for podcasters um, app and i do classes on there twice a week so i do classes on uh, purification of the heart uh, which is um, a text by sheikh hamza yusuf uh, on the spiritual diseases of the heart i teach that and then i also teach another transformative text uh, called Agenda to Change Our Condition, also written by Sheikh Hamza and Imam Zaid Shakir. And both of these books are complementary in that they really help to develop uh, one's oneself, uh, spiritually speaking, and work on that self-awareness and self-regulation process. So I love those topics, and I teach those weekly. And then I also do a lot of different events for organizations like Celebrate Mercy, which are among my favorite, the Rahma Foundation, which is an all-women uh, organization that is run by Dr. Rania Awad, um, who I also work with uh, in the space of mental health advocacy. Um, and then we also have the local community that I'm a part of in California, uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, which is called um, the MCC East Bay. And I'm very active on their website as well. So they have a lot of, uh, I have weekly classes um, currently, but also monthly classes. So alhamdulillah, I'm kind of, you know, one of those floaters, but, <laughs> but well, I the best place is, uh, mashallah. So the best place like for people to know more about that, like go and listen to those talks, go and follow you uh, and get all the links, Instagram and your website as well. Is that the best place we should, we should tell them to yes. go to get all access yeah. to all of that, inshallah? Yes, yes, alhamdulillah. Okay, alhamdulillah. Okay. Amazing, awesome guys. So go check her, uh, check out her Instagram, uh, sister Jose Mujadidi. It's Jose Mojo, so H O S A I M O J O. We're going to also drop a link 
in the episode notes or description, wherever you're watching. So go and check out uh, the description for links to her Instagram and her website, inshallah. And uh, you'll get access from there to all the talks she's giving and everything she's working on, mashallah. And uh, mm-hmm. as we talked about earlier, you're working on so much, mashallah. So I'm sure there's something that no matter who is listening right now, they could go and benefit from. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it tremendously. And I'm sure the listeners have benefited from this. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, I had a moment to look through your page on YouTube and I was so impressed with what you're doing. Really, I'm so grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he inspired in you this passion because I feel like the Ummah would be really at a loss had had, had you not been inspired to do what you're doing. And I, I just really appreciate that um, you're spotlighting other people, but also, mashallah, in that you're, you're, you know, giving life to your own passion. And, and it, it really comes across. You're very naturally skilled and talented at what you do. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to give you tawfiq and amplify your voice. And I hope all the listeners really take uh, seriously the amount of effort it takes to put these programs together. Um, it's it's a labor of love, clearly, but it is still a labor. So I hope you will support our brother here, mashallah, and share and like, and really make sure that you're intentional about that. Because sometimes we mean well, we, uh, we take content and we take it for granted. We just, there's so much of it. But when you find something that is uh, that is done with such pure intention, uh, I think it's it's really um, important that we honor that by sharing it with other people as well. So please do uh, share um, your, the page here on YouTube and all of the other social media outlets and make sure we get um, your subscriptions as high as possible. And I know from working with different organizations, that means hit, hitting the bell icon, following, subscribing, <laughs> right? I'll say it for you because you know I love it. I love it. Yeah. And support our brother, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. And really may Allah bless you and reward you. Thank you so much. This was absolutely incredible of you to to share that and i'm so so grateful to you and to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be able to do this jazakallah khairan and with yeah. that we'll see everyone next time in the next episode take care guys assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh